Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running Podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. I am over the moon for today's episode and so excited. I have Fiona on the podcast today. She's known as English Runs on Instagram. You may know her from her viral Instagram post to the Boston Marathon. We're unpacking all of this in today's episode and just getting to know more about who Fiona is. So sit back, relax. We'll just jump right into the episode. All right. I am so, so excited to have Fiona on the podcast today. You all probably know her as English Runs on Instagram. If you don't, you should. You would have seen a very viral post that she wrote to the Boston Marathon about a few weeks ago now. And it was insane. The movement that she created in the running community was just immense. And I saw every one of my running friends talking about it. And the the response that she got was incredible. And, you know, what she's done is just amazing. And I'm so excited to dive into it. But I first wanted to just hand it off to Fiona just to introduce yourself, share a little bit more before we get started. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm Fiona. I'm 34. I'm a runner from London. Um, I used to formerly be a very passionate ultra marathon runner um, and will again, but um, currently I'm 31 weeks pregnant. Um, I rather delightfully un- unexpectedly qualified for Boston Marathon back in April 2022 um which was amazing but also I'm due to give birth two days before Boston um and Boston at the time had no deferral policy but I'm delighted to say that following the campaigning of many incredible women tipped off by um yeah an open letter I wrote to them Boston Marathon now have a deferral policy and I'll be running the Boston Marathon in 2024 that's amazing amazing and I just wanted to firstly kind of just go into what you spoke about there in terms of qualifying for Boston and just reading more about and learning more about just your journey in terms of, you know, you've run 17 marathons. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. And just the hard work and determination that went into getting that Boston qualifier. I think it's so inspiring, especially to someone like me who has kind of gone from, you know, I kind of, I feel like I looked at that time, that qualifying time and thought, oh God, like how am I going to ever, ever get that quick? But watching you go from, is it 547 to 327.05 is crazy. It's so crazy. Can you tell us more about that? And I think, you know, the problem is we often tell the stories of the people who are just naturally fast. I'm definitely not that. I am not someone who is naturally fast. I just, um, it's really boring, but the truthful reason is I've run and got faster because of consistency. So I've been running for many years now and just every year, slowly but surely, certain things have chipped down and my times have got faster. Um, Not always linear. Some of those marathons were horrendous. Um, I've had some really bad days um, and it took me four goes to break 345. So I was trying really hard for a really long time to break 345, for example. And then it just happened to be that, yeah, in in the process along the way, I amazingly got a BQ. I actually ran a 17 minute PB on that 17th marathon. Um, And so, yeah, so I'm particularly proud of that because I think that often as we get more consistent, we don't tend to see those big jumps or those big uh, moments of real change. Um, going down from 547 to sub five hours was quite easy, weirdly. Um, 
but I have massive respect for anyone who is running marathons at the slower end of the scale. It's probably the marathon I'm most proud of is my first one where I ran 547. It was really hard. Um, I run ultras now sometimes quicker than that. Um, It's a really long time to be out. So if you're out there and putting in the miles and you're coming back with a result of 547, like that's incredible. Kudos to you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I have so much respect for people who are on that slower end, but just like knowing that your body is going through that for a much longer amount of time than some of these faster people, I think is, is crazy, but yeah. And then, you know, racing still when you found out you were pregnant, (laughs) tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, I'm really lucky. I managed to race, uh, pretty, pretty well, I would say during my first trimester. So, um, uh, a first trimester in pregnancy is 12 weeks and you kind of only find out that you're pregnant at about four or five weeks in which is totally something I didn't realize when it comes to the maths. So that's interesting anyway. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was due to race UTMB three weeks afterwards, which is one of the biggest ultra marathons in the world. It's like the mecca of trail running. Um, And I was racing what I joke called kids UTMB. So it's 56 kilometers. Um, and But really hard. It took me five years to qualify to be there. And I had a big chat with my husband about it because there's, a, there's not a great narrative when it comes to running in pregnancy. Mm. And there are some individual people who are telling those stories and actually if you look at things like here in so here in the UK the NHS advice if you were a runner you should still keep running it's totally fine um but we don't really tell those stories and it's a bit taboo um Mm. so yeah I think my husband's in my opinion was like I may as well turn up on the start line and just see what happens yeah and the joy of not caring if I finished is I may have a beautiful journey on the day and know that there's something bigger and that's okay I just happened to have fortunately been able to run three ultra marathons and then London marathon in 350 um during that first trimester which was amazing that is incredible that's amazing I I I know that I I do tend to see that sometimes on social media and I see like women who are pregnant some women who are like you know much further along and still, you know, either doing really slow jogging or they're at the gym doing some sort of slow movement. And if you go to the comment section, it can be quite negative because people are suddenly trying to tell this woman how she should be handling her pregnancy and, you know, what's right and wrong to do in pregnancy. But like as a runner myself, who hopefully one day hopes to bear children, I 100% am planning on running still you know, I'm not going to just completely stop the day that I find out that I'm pregnant. And so watching women like you go forward and move forward and share about that journey as well is so inspiring. And I think the really important thing to say is there are loads of reasons why someone might stop running. And that is totally valid. And that is like, we should celebrate the fact that they're able as well to make that decision, which must be really hard if they're forced into that. It's just that there is no medical evidence to say that we should stop running. In fact, there's some really strong evidence to say that we should remain active Mm. and that non-active pregnancy is really bad for us um and so it's hard because um the trolls love to tell you their opinion um but um I think if you're confident in what you're doing I in in the first couple of weeks of being pregnant I read about eight books because I just was desperately trying to find something that would help me understand and unpack how I should navigate pregnancy as a runner um and I think the the biggest advice I can give to anyone is to have a think about your heart rate that's really important um so that it isn't getting too high it can still get quite high, but just not too high. So you're probably looking at doing tempo, but you're probably not looking at doing track. Yeah. Um, I hike up mountains now rather than run up them. So like, that's just, there's some little adjustments that you can make. Um, And then to be honest, as you 
go forward I found that my body has told me anyway like my body is insanely clever especially in what it's going through now and all I have to do really is listen to it yeah yeah a hundred percent and so now just kind of to get into how you basically help so many women everywhere change Boston Marathon rules around <laughs> deferrals amazing and just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know about the history behind women being able to just run in general um, in the Boston Marathon um, starting in 1966 Bobby Gibb hid in a bush near the start line disguised in a hoodie before hopping in the race um, and she became the first woman to run the Boston Marathon but then in 1967 Catherine Schweitzer was the first official woman to run the Boston Marathon with her initials not her name and there's that iconic photo of her trying to run with people, all these men trying to pry off her bib. It's just a crazy, crazy pivotal photo. And then 1972 was finally the year that women were finally allowed to enter into the Boston Marathon. And now 51 years later, you share this incredible post that got almost 10,000 likes on Instagram and about the cold rejection that you received in response to your major injury requests and trying to get them to defer and, you know, telling that story behind how you worked so hard to get that Boston qualifier and for them to kind of come back with that cold response of, well, nope, sorry. We can't do that. Yeah. And obviously the the bigger even history of Boston that sits way before Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer is it's 1897 the race started. Mm. So like we're talking about a really long amount of time before women were even able to run. And so um yeah, to to the people telling me that um I should be sitting in a corner and not even saying that what an experience is like, um, I guess I would just recognize that change happens through sometimes standing up against the rules that clearly don't make sense. Um I knew that there was a deferral policy for Boston but I would also recognize that um for most people getting pregnant isn't something you just click your fingers and it happens um I think that's a really common misconception absolutely um, taking me a really long time to be at this point um and I have had a much more positive experience than many people I know but we often don't tell those stories as well because they're painful and it's awkward and it's weird to talk about um so I think that it's difficult to imagine the idea that you would say to a woman who has been through that process, well, you chose, Mm. you you chose this, therefore the place that you've earned, that you have a right to, that you had this honour to achieve, you're now not allowed to take up and you have to go away and earn it again. Mm. Um, I find that really problematic. And I find it especially problematic because under the old Boston rules, I had to define myself as ill or injured. Mm. And I think that's just so negative um, and so disempowering. Um, And so I think it was... It mattered to me because Boston is the mecca, right, of road marathons. It's the thing that we look to to give us the kind of goal, I guess, that we all imagine. Oh, my gosh, can you imagine if one day I ran Boston? Um, It means it massively means something. So for Boston to not respond in a way that I at least thought was respectful, I found really difficult. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. And yeah, just talking about just. Boston's history of being able to change old male-centric rules and kind of focusing more on males. But when you think about especially females in the sense when you're relating it to pregnancy and something incredible like pregnancy, women being able to bear children and still be able to call themselves marathon runners, ultra runners, I think is just, it's so sad in a world that you feel, or we would hope is more modernized, but you still have to fight these battles like you've done here. And 
you know, for, I, I, I just think it's so, it's so sad that, you know, you can also look at like London and Berlin who changed their policies to allow a pregnancy defer and postpartum deferral policy. But, you know, Boston's only just done that. We're looking to see if Chicago might, Tokyo and New York. It, are you kind of starting to push out some of those conversations? Yeah. So there's a rumor that is coming that New York and Chicago will follow. Um, that would be amazing. Um, the rumor is that that will happen for this year. So come wow. on, break the let's see that happen um unfortunately we're not hearing that from tokyo yet but my hope is that if five of the six majors go that in turn will cause a change and i think the really interesting thing that has come off the back of this is um i've spoken to a lot of journalists around the world off the back of this who just didn't know that this is a situation we as women would find ourselves in Mm. Uh, and one of the journalists i've been speaking to is this amazing italian journalist who when she challenged the milan marathon on it the milan marathon race organizer said but it isn't any different to be injured these women should just sit and wait Mm. and I think there's a bigger problem that comes from us not speaking up and not using our voices and I hope that some of the power that other women can have is being able to point to Boston and say here's a marathon that all of us should look up to including other marathons there's a really clear process here why don't you just copy the process yeah Um, makes it much easier to then feel you have the autonomy and power to ask for the rules to be changed or for the rules to be implemented for the first time if they don't exist at the marathon that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's so that's so true. Tell me about the feeling that you felt though when you when you got that news from them that they had changed their deferral policies. I think I've been describing it to my friends as um I've run a lot of amazing races and I've run some really cool stuff around the world. And it's really cool some of the stuff I've achieved that I genuinely never would have thought I've achieved. Like I've run a 100 miler, I've run a Boston qualifier, I've managed to get into and run a UTMB race like all this stuff is cool but nothing I think will ever be as important in my running journey as being on the start line of Boston in 2024 with other women who also would have been in the same position as me mm. um, it's really humbling would be the best word I can use to describe it I feel incredibly grateful to have been able to find the tipping point that has caused um, such a significant change in the rules and also I think a huge amount of conversation about um, pregnancy running women in the running space and I think that that conversation and dialogue is as important actually as the rule change because it reminds people of the discrepancy that continues to exist in a sport that we claim to love but that I would argue still today marginalizes women um, and doesn't empower them in the way that it should and has the potential to yeah yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it it's definitely a conversation, you know, outside of just these marathon policies that needs to be continued to be had. And I, I see and I love seeing other female runners in the running community kind of also trying to speak up to like other issues around, you know, one of my friends ran in a race recently and she was looking at the race day photos and not ones of her, but she was just kind of looking at general ones. 99% of the time, it's mostly of men and it's never, it's never really like a spotlight around female female runners and you're not really highlighting the importance of you know what what it means to be a female runner because I think I think for a while as well for me growing up I always I always kind of didn't see myself as a runner because I always just watched these fast boys at school and I didn't think I didn't see very many of my female friends doing it but I think there also just needs to be a conversation as well around helping younger women as well and younger girls be able to know and you know, be able to visualize themselves growing up to be 
a female runner one day. My mum was even talking to me this morning about uh, how the very first pair of trainers that she bought me was a pair of pink sparkly trainers and how it was outrageous to all of her friends that she bought a little girl trainers. Like that was not really acceptable. And it's just even changing that narrative, isn't it? To go, why can't little girls get muddy? And why can't little girls go running? And I think that you're you're totally right around photographs as well. It's so important that we see ourselves represented because it's so hard to imagine that space if we don't see representation. And I guess the big thing that I am acutely aware of is I'm saying this from still an extremely privileged position. And like my friends run run the incredible organization here in the UK, Black Trail Runners. Um, they're talking talking about a narrative around diversity in a much broader sense of the word and looking at um, the even the even bigger barriers that exist um, at getting people into sports. Um, and, you know, if we don't say this stuff, then people don't see it, do they? And I think we also as a community need to stand up against the bullies who want to keep things the way they've always been. Absolutely. I think that that goes for so many things, not only just in running, but in life. And I think that's something that I always try and share as a message on the podcast podcast is just if you are able to be that voice for others absolutely be that voice and know that you're kind of it's not just you talk speaking for yourself you're speaking on behalf of so many women and I know that you know I saw so many of like some of my female friends on TikTok that are runners um one of them in particular Diane was really really moved by your by your post and she just felt so so strongly and it was just so incredible to see just like the absolute shockwave that you sent with that post and just how it touched so many female runners in the running community. So I applaud you. I'm honored to have you on the podcast. And genuinely, I'm, I'm just so amazed at what you've done truly but I guess that's that's a really good example isn't it of all I did was openly vulnerably and honestly tell the truth and as with all stuff involved in telling the truth like my story is a bit complicated and like it doesn't it's not perfect and it's not shiny and that doesn't really matter I think when we're open and vulnerable and honest but demand change because it's so obvious. Um, And particularly when we can stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, it's really important to me that you told that narrative of Bobby Gibb. Bobby Gibb spent three days traveling across the US to get to the Boston Marathon start line. Like that is a hard, hard journey to run a race where you know you're not welcome. Mm -hmm. And then Catherine Switzer, as you rightly say, so Catherine Switzer running with her bib and the race officials literally tried to rip her out of the race. Mm. This stuff is not always easy. But there is so much power when we're honest and open and vulnerable and fight for justice. 100%. Yeah. If there was anything that you could, any piece of advice that you had for female runners listening, I I have quite a strong percentage of my audience is female. And I think most of them do run. Um, So I, if there's anything that you had to say to them, a piece of advice, whether they're beginners, whether they're marathon runners or want to run the Boston Marathon one day, what would you say? So I truly believe, um, so I'm a running coach and I truly believe that the biggest problem we as girls have is that we are robbed of our joy by comparing ourselves to others so Roosevelt famously said comparison is the thief of joy and I think that that's not just true of others around us but it's often true of ourselves as well so we often compare ourselves and get caught in a trap but ultimately running is very simple if you consistently work at it you will see results and those results don't have to be time-based it might be that you find more joy in it it might be that you discover places you've never been or it might be that you get an amazing friend network that you weren't expecting um and I guess I would remind women everywhere that we have power and we should take up space 
in the running sphere, it might not look like the guys and that's okay. That's actually really cool. Like if you want to just do something adventurous or run with your friends and that makes you happy, then I don't care what your PB is at 5k. Do the thing that makes you joyful. Um, I also think there are amazing, amazing people out there that we can follow that do help inspire us. And when I very first started running, Instagram didn't exist. <laughs> that's how old I am. <laughs> um, so like nowadays I get to follow people like you and Diane on TikTok and be inspired by you guys. And that in turn helps my running journey. And so I would also encourage people to find those people that bring you joy and motivate you and make you feel badass um, and follow them and engage with that because the community can be amazing on social media. And it's such a powerful vehicle for change as hopefully my story has proved. 100%. Yeah. And just in the closing, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about the fact that you are running coach and if anyone was looking for a running coach how could they get in touch um especially if they're uk based yeah what are how can they do that so i try and coach in a really accessible way but it's truly bespoke that's what really matters to me it's all about empowering you as an individual to find what what matters to you and achieve that um i have some running rules as a coach and i guess that this is also useful because this is good for runners everywhere i would say my first rule to people is always that life has to come first we're not professional athletes and if you're not prioritizing that, then you're probably getting it wrong. Secondly, I like passionately believe that we should be aiming to run forever not just for current goals. And I think a lot of coaches can get lost in current goals for clients. And so if your coach isn't encouraging you to do strength training and not race every weekend, I would ask them some big questions. And then thirdly, I want to get behind you and support you in whatever it is you're passionate about. But all of that stuff I can do just by being your like friend on social media. It doesn't need to be through a coaching relationship necessarily. But yeah, you'll find me, as you rightly say, at English Runs. Awesome, amazing. Well, thank you again, Fiona, so much for being on the podcast. Um, it was truly an honor and just an incredible movement that I've seen from you and just the running community that has just been amazing to watch. And so amazing to have you on to be able to talk about it more in more detail and just hear more about your running story as well and the way that you coach run other runners as well. And I love, I love the narrative that you shared there, those top three things. So really just a massive thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to, uh, yeah, run Boston in 2024 and annoy everyone online with the narrative around that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. A big, massive thank you to Fiona for coming on the podcast. It was incredible to get to know her more. So inspiring and so empowering. If you want to get in touch with her, I'll leave her details in the show notes of the episode. Otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.